0: welcome to the occult london podcast this is a new podcast dedicated to exploring magic mysticism, and the kabbalah as well as other topics if you like the podcast please write a review and rate us on itunes or whatever platform you listen to this on as it will really help us to get this message out there also be sure to visit our website at occultlondon.co.uk where you can subscribe to the show In today's episode we are going to be beginning a new series which will be looking at some of the legends and the symbolism behind the astrological signs of the zodiac. As we discussed in our brief introduction the important thing to remember with these forces or these energies is that they are living symbols, energies but also have mythological stories behind them and With that note, we're gonna kick off this series by looking at the sign of Aries, the ram, or Alietes, or Krios in ancient Greek, whose time is around the spring equinox. The constellation of Aries is a mid-sized constellation. It's about 39th in size among the other recognized constellations and it's also one of the original 48 constellations listed by Ptolemy in his Almagest. Aries has various different correspondences with regards to important dates, but it's always in the springtime, representing the new year, the burst of creative energy that comes in the springtime. Change, new beginnings, audacity and bravery. The astronomical date is 18th, April to May the 13th. Rashi sidereal is the 14th of April to May the 14th and the tropical is March the 21st to April the 20th. It's ruled by the planet Mars. It's the element of fire and it's very much connected with red and orange in terms of colours like these hot fiery colours. Obviously, from an incense point of view, you know, there's lots of different choices here, but, you know, fiery incense, dragon's blood, spicy, you know, hot. And the angel that traditionally rules Aries is Meladiel, which is kind of an angel that's signified by this kind of indefinable impulse to begin. It merges and it brings the strength, it makes us take action from a symbolic point of view as most of you probably already know this sign is represented by a ram and if we look at legends and myths of rams they've always been a a lively animal um often found in mountains or you know in quite sort of rough terrain um and often you know often quite violent in some ways in terms of they'll chase people out of fields and things like that An Aries is an innovator, a groundbreaker and aspects of this sign are described quite wonderfully by Gareth Knight in his book Merlin and the Grail as I quote, Aries first of the zodiacal signs representative of the cardinal fire and its symbol embodying in simplest terms the development of duality from a point. And that's a quote by gareth knight from merlin and the grail aries is traditionally was the first sign of the zodiac from 1845 to ad 300 when the the vernal equinox would have been within its borders and it's then that the ram would have led the flock across the sky in ancient mesopotamia um the year begins for the people when the sun moved into Aries which was known as the sacrifice of righteousness and in Assyrian times it was known as the altar and the sacrifice where a ram would have been sacrificed. In ancient Egypt the constellation of Aries was also associated with the god Amun-Ra often depicted or shown as having a ram's head and Amun-Ra also represented fertility and creativity for the Egyptians. With the Aries constellation being close to the vernal equinox as well, it's also called the indicator of the reborn sun. And during this time of year, when the Aries was said to be in the heavens, the priests would dedicate statues of Amun-Ra in their temples. And this practice was later adapted by the Persian astronomers. The constellation of Aries also gained the title Lord of the Head, which kind of indicates an important symbolic and mythological meaning. The head is very much, you know, obviously the source of strength in a ram, but it's also, um, in some cultures, was considered to be the sort of where the soul kind of lived, essentially. And you get this idea of the fire in the head in some Celtic traditions as well, being this kind of inner fire that exists within the head, um, and also why you know skulls and things like that were actually prized in some cultures because it was considered to be that's the seat of that essence, that fire, that primal fire. Other interesting things um, during the plagues. Some Jewish communities apparently uh, were required to put the blood of a ram, Ares, over the door to keep the angel of death from taking their firstborn sons. And also in Rome, army legions are meant to have sacrificed a ram before entering battle. In Babylonian times, the star formation that forms Ares was also known as Mul-Lul-Hunga or the Hired Man and was associated with the god It's springtime, and it marks the beginning of the year. And during this period, around 2000 BC, the hired man would have risen in the dawn at the time of the spring equinox. And around 500 BC, the Greeks transformed this constellation into Aries the Ram and establish it as the first sign of the zodiac. As most of you have probably seen, the symbol of Aries is a symbolic of the shape of a ram's horns. Rams, as we discussed earlier, they're very powerful. They're symbolic animals of representing force, representing power, representing you know charging. And this is very relevant power from a kind of magical perspective, representing that fiery part of fire, the most active, the most violent manifestation of that element. As well as power the ram also has other magical symbolism, for example in Babylon the ram held powerful meaning with regards to the magical properties of its fleece which later becomes the golden fleece in, in Greek mythology. The astronomer Ptolemy described Ares as follows in his Almagest Ares, exceeding in strength, chariot rider, golden helmed, doughty in heart, shield-bearer, saviour of cities, harnessed in bronze, strong of arm, unwearying, mighty with the spear, O defence of Olympus, father of warlike victory, ally of Themis, stern governor of the rebellious, leader of righteous men, sceptered king of manliness, who whirls your fiery sphere among the planets in their sevenfold courses through the ether wherein your blazing steeds ever bear you above the third hermene of heaven hear me helper of men giver of dauntless youth shed down a kindly ray from above my life and strength of war that i may be able to drive away bitter cowardness from my head and crush down the deceitful impulses of my soul Restrain also the keen fury of my heart which provokes me to tread the ways of blood-curdling strife. Rather, O blessed one, give me your boldness to abide within the harmless laws of peace, avoiding strife and hatred and the violent fiends of death. That's a quote by Ptolemy from his Almagest. Um... So obviously, yeah, Aries is the ram. They're very important um, to many different cultures. Um, they're also one of the animals that was traditionally sacrificed, unfortunately, um, which is not something I'm recommending anyone does now. Um, but it's just, this is some of the historical aspects. From a symbolic point of view, use is often uh, associated with a ram. And in terms of the actual story, um Ares is a special ram however he is also the one with the golden fleece and was the object of the voyage of Jason and the Argonauts and the story of of Ares really makes its first appearance with the story of King Athamas of Boeotia when he was about to sacrifice his son Phrixus to ward off impending Fanon. and the story goes as follows and this is a quote from Pseudo Apollodorus who was a Greek mytho- mythographer around the 2nd century AD. The oracle prophesies an end to the death if Phrixos, Phrixus were to be sacrificed to Zeus. When Athamas heard this and was pressurised by the joint efforts of the inhabitants, he had Phrixus placed on the altar. But Nepheli seized both him and her daughter and gave them a golden fleeced ram, which she had received from Hermes, by which they were borne through the sky over and across the land and sea. But as they reached the sea that lies between Sigium and Caronisi, Helia slipped into the depths from her death. There the sea was called the Hellas Point after her. Phrixus proceeded on to Colchians, who ruled by Aetes, the son of Helios and Perseus and brother of Circe and Minos' wife, Pasiphae. Aetes received him and gave him Chalciope, one of his daughters. Phrixos sacrificed the golden ram to Zeus, but gave its fleece to Aetes, who nailed it to an oak tree in a grove of Ares. So, it's, yeah, it's talking about this... Um, This is one of the sort of ancient Greek stories uh, about Ares, where it's this golden fleeced ram that kind of essentially rescues them, but then obviously one of them falls off into the sea. And then it becomes like this prized thing. There's also different variations of that story. For example, Eratosthenes wrote that the ram was immortal and instead of dying it sheds its own fleece and then it flies into the sky of its own accord. And it's believed that the reason for that constellation is due to the fact that the fleece is has been removed, so it's faint. After the prince Phrixus died, his ghost is also meant to have returned to Greece to haunt his cousin Peleus, who had seized the throne of Locus in Thessaly. And the real successor to this throne is meant to have been Jason. And Pallas tells Jason that he will give up the throne if he brings back the Golden Fleece. And so this is where the kind of legend of Jason and the Argonauts and the, and the Golden Fleece come from. And I quote from Pindar, the Pythian Ode 4. Pallas commands Jason... Fetch the golden fleece. You have it in your strength to undo the vengeful anger of the powers of earth below, to bring his spirit again. Phrixus commands us journey to Aeetes' hall, and fetch from thence the thick fleece of the ram which saved him from the sea long ago. So Jason is meant to have sailed for many days until he reaches Colchis, where he asks the king for the fleece which hangs in a sacred wood guarded by a huge serpent that never sleeps. And King Aetes is meant to have rejected Jason's request. However, he he has a daughter, Medea, who falls in love with Jason and then she offers to help him steal the fleece. So the two lovers creep into the wood at night where the fleece is hanging and Medea bewitches the serpent And then Jason steals the fleece. According to Apollonius Rhodius, uh, the golden fleece is meant to have been as large as the hide of a young cow. And when Jason has it over his shoulder, it reaches his feet. And the ground shone from its glittering golden wool as Jason and Medea escaped with it. And I quote, Lord Jason held up the great fleece in his arms. The shimmering wool threw a fiery glow on his fair cheeks and forehead, and he rejoiced in it, glad as a girl who catches on her silken gown, the lovely light of the full moon, as it climbs the sky and looks into her attic room. The ram's skin with its golden covering was as large as the hide of a yearling heifer or a brocket as a young stag is called by hunting folk. The long flocks weighed it down on the very ground beneath him, as he was walked with bright with gold. When he slung it on his left shoulder, as he did at times, it reached his feet. But now and again he made a bundle of it in his arms. He was mortally afraid that some god or man might rob him on the way. Dawn was spreading over the world when they rejoined the rest. The young men marveled when they saw the mighty fleece dazzling as the lightning of zeus and they all leapt up in their eagerness to touch it and hold it in their hands but jason kept them off and threw a new mantle over the fleece so once jason and medea uh, escape from the king they then um, flee and take the fleece to the temple of zeus at Orchomenus, where it's meant to have uh, stayed for a long time. Nobody knows where it is now, unfortunately. There's also another story about Ares set in the Liberian Desert, where we have the god of wine, Bacchus, is wandering the desert, and he's really thirsty. And he's meant to have met a ram who leads the party to a well. And then as a reward, Bacchus places the ram in the stars, so that when the sun wanders beneath it, it's springtime. So lots of different aspects going on there in terms of you know some of this interesting mythology. Some of the magical aspects of Aries I wanted to finish with. As we've seen, the you know, the energy of Aries is all about new beginnings, it's about breaking new ground, it's about driving things forward. So the astrological energy of Aries is good for these sort of things. Um, it's also a very strong fire sign, one of the most potent. So it can be worked with from an elemental perspective, um, particularly with fire, in terms of boosting up um, energies. As we've seen, also when the sun enters areas at the spring equinox, you know nature, the whole world receives a huge burst of energy, and this is really the time when the first daring roots of the new year burst through the dead soil and that sort of coldest of winter begins to fade it's the resurrection of persephone after her descent into the underworld the birth of the oak king rising towards his coronation at midsummer the energy of aries is all about embodying new beginnings fresh starts new seasons filled with infinite potential and huge amounts of energy and Aries people, for this matter, they're you know they're often pioneers, they're groundbreakers. Um, you know they inspire others to go out and dare to do things. Um, but there is also a tendency to, for that energy to kind of burn out and, and move to something else that's more exciting. So beware. Um, so yeah, this that's sort of the main kind of energies. It's, it's this drive. Um, it's Martian energy, courage, passion. And willpower is really the kind of watchwords. That's all we've got time for today. We will be continuing this episode, this series next week um, by talking about Taurus. I wanted to end with a beautiful quote from Manilius Astronomica from the first century, um, where there's a particularly beautiful passage about Aries. When the ram emerges above the surface of the waves and the curve of his neck appears before his horns, he will give birth to hearts that are never content with what is theirs. He will engender minds bent on plunder and will banish all sense of shame. Such is their desire for venture, even thus does the ram himself rush forth with lowered horns resolved to win or die. Not for them the gentle ease of a fixed abode, with none but peaceful cares. It is ever their delight to travel through unknown cities, to explore uncharted seas and enjoy the whole world's hospitality. The ram himself gives you evidence of this. Once, furrowing a trail through the glassy sea, he tinged it with the gold of his fleece, when on his back he carried Phrixus, bereft of his sister Hela by fate's decree and brought him to the banks of the Phasis and the Colchis. Thanks so much for joining us this week on the Occult London Podcast. Hope you've enjoyed it. Please make sure to visit our website at occultlondon.co.uk where you can subscribe to the show. Thank you and good night.